We've been doing scenes from 2 Kings. We're actually going to look at some scenes from 1 Kings. So you got the first five books of Moses, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. You want 1 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 11 for the main text, but we're going to start off in chapter 2. And we're looking at Solomon's slide. Solomon's slide. Uh, pray that you're having a blessed Labor Day weekend. And uh, I will tell you that this is a message that is challenging and hard. Um, but stay tuned for the end because I'll have more bad news at the end for you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. There's, there are, there's some good news at the end. Let me just paint a, a opening picture by telling you that the reason that we have king's books in our Bible is because Israel asked for a king. They wanted to be like the other nations. And so they got what they asked for. And that's literally what Saul's name, the first king of Israel is Saul. That's what his name means, asked for. And it's what the people asked for. And they got a king. And he was tall and he was handsome, head and shoulders above the rest. He looked like the logical choice to be the king. And Saul began, uh, he actually got Blessed times where the Holy Spirit touched him and came upon him. But as you well know, Saul ended up blowing it and falling away from the Lord. He was disobedient to the Lord. And so the Lord said, I'm going to choose a man better than you. Hard to hear, but that is the truth. And that man was named David. And so David had an incredible life. The life of David, we know he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. We know he was a great warrior. We know early in his life he took on Goliath. We know that he was a man of war. He had to deal with a lot of heartache and hardship, including Saul wanting to kill him. Saul was actually his father-in-law. And including his own son trying to usurp the throne from him. And when David wrote a lot of those precious, wonderful psalms in what we call the book of Psalms, which is called the Psalter, uh, he wrote them in very low points of his life. And we can see him doing some self-talk and redirecting his eyes toward the Lord in difficult times. And then from the time of David, the uh, nation of Israel is reaching its heights. In fact, scholars would say that the borders of Israel were never so long and wide as when they were under David and then Solomon. And David had really conquered the enemies round about. He had rid uh, Israel of idolatry. And Yahweh was honored in the life of David. And we know, you know, it's hard for us to resist David's fall with Bathsheba. That does obviously stain his record. But even after that fall with Bathsheba, he wrote Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And there was contrition and brokenness. And he said, renew a right spirit within me. So David was the great king of Israel. And there is another king coming. And this is where we're going to end with some good news at the end. A greater king uh, who's going to sit on the throne of David. He's the greater David. His name is Jesus. And we're going to get to that great king at the end. And he's the one that can solve all of our problems. He's the one who's going to deal with our biggest issues and so we got to hold on for that as we look at Solomon's slide. I'm taking you to 1 Kings chapter 2 so you can see the end of David's life and a charge that he gave to his son. So 1 Kings 2, we'll pick it up in verse 1. And as we do, let's just pray one more time. Father, as we get into your word, may your word get into us. May it draw us to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May you be glorified in the way that we hear the word the kind of soil that we are. 
the way that we respond to it. We know that Solomon wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and yet still that wisdom wasn't really largely applied in much of his life. And we, we can be hearers of the word. In Solomon's case, he wrote the word, and yet we cannot do it. Uh, we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. We know how we can be as sheep. And so help us, Lord, to learn the lessons from Solomon's slide. This was written for our instruction that we might benefit from it. And so I pray that we'll be looking for clues and hints about how we can be more proactive and more aware of the potential slides in our life. Help us with that, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you would say in this hour to your bride. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. First Kings 2, verse 1. As David's time to die drew near, so here's King David, he charged Solomon his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. That's simply a way to say everybody dies. It's one event for all. Ecclesiastes 3, Pastor John's going to teach on it next Sunday. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time for every event under heaven. And death is one event that we are going to face unless Jesus comes in our lifetime and we experience the rapture. And David, as great as he was, as uh, blessed as he was, came to this point in his own life, his deathbed, and he charged Solomon. The idea of a charge from a father to a son, maybe from a grandfather, maybe from a mother to a daughter, and even in pastoral ministry is something that maybe we've lost a little bit of in our culture. But the idea of a charge is to call God and even the angelic host as witnesses and then to really say to someone, this is, this is your call in life. Now what David is going to charge Solomon with is simply what God has instructed for all of us to do, to obey him, to be what he's called us to be, to do what he's called us to do. And David is handing the baton of the throne to Solomon. The difference between David and Solomon is David was a man of war. He was a warrior. He was probably much more rugged than Solomon was. Solomon grew up in the palace. Uh, scholars would say that he didn't experience really the kind of battles that David uh, experienced. And so when David charges him, he, and you can write down 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, where Paul charges Solomon, or charges uh, Timothy to preach the word and be faithful and uh, stand strong. And, and you can kind of hear that here as David says, I'm going the way of all the earth. He says to Solomon, be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. We might say it this way, be a man. And we need men to step up in our culture. Amen? Amen? Okay. We need men to be men. We should not be ashamed of what I would call biblical masculinity. We should be ready to be the man of God that God has called us to be. And so David says to Solomon... Be strong. Be a man. This is a, a wonderful charge, and we all need it. We need to hear it, especially men in our culture. And so he says, keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments. These are all kind of synonyms for God's law, his ordinances, his testimonies, according to what is written in the Torah or the law of Moses, that you may succeed I can hear the words, you know, to Joshua. Uh, as he obeys the word, he'll be successful in whatever he does. In all that you do and wherever you turn, 
Keep the charge of the Lord your God. My charge is his charge to you. And for us fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers and on the lady side, moms, grandmas, great-grandmas, that's our charge to our children. We need to charge them with a biblical worldview. So the Lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me, verse four, saying, if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart. That was the essence of the law, to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all their soul. You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now David, passing the baton to Solomon, charges him to be faithful to God, to to do something that we would call wholehearted devotion, to follow the Lord fully. David, yes, made his mistakes, but he loved God. And so as we flip ahead to chapter 3, as we set a little bit of the background, here's what happens in Solomon's life. And this is the first kind of hint that uh, things are not going to go well, at least on this side of things. Solomon 3.1 of 1 Kings formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he took Pharaoh's daughter, brought her to the city of David, that's Jerusalem, until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord, and the wall around Jerusalem. So one of the the first kind of openings of the door to compromise here is uh, Solomon's marriage with the Pharaoh's daughter. Why did he do that? Why did he make an alliance with Egypt, which was always a problem for Israel, was really the house of slavery. And some scholars would say that he did it for political reasons. He was making a political alliance. This is Isaiah 30, 1 through 3. Write it down for your notes. This is what it says. Woe to the rebellious children, Isaiah 30, 1 through 3, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation. When Israel was feeling pressure from neighboring countries of war and the like, they would make alliances with Egypt in the south, Syria in the north, etc. And when, whenever they made an alliance that was not spirit-led, it led to their humiliation and their shame. Now, if you take a modern application to this and you think about marriage and business and things that we all interact with, we have to understand that we are not to make alliances with that which is not of the Lord. It needs to be spirit-led alliances. And one of the most important spirit-led alliances that needs to occur is within your marriage relationship. You need to marry a believer. If you're a young person and you're considering your future, you need to marry in the Lord. Because when you're unequally yoked, that person's going to pull you undoubtedly in their direction. So as you consider your future, if you're not yet married, or maybe you're in a a tough spot in terms of a relationship right now, um, this is the direction we are to go. But Solomon opened the door. Now, a little bit more about Solomon. We can see another uh, area of compromise. The people, 1 Kings 3, 2, were still sacrificing on the high places. These were often places where false gods were worshipped because there was no house built in the name of the Lord until those days. Now, I want you to notice this. Now, Solomon loved the Lord. 
And I'm sure that that would speak to many of us today. We, we would tell people, uh, many of us, we, I love the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. He was walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what you wish me to give you. So Solomon has essentially a blank check here. And Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. You have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have uh, given him a son to sit on his throne as it is to this day, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, verse 7, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant, if you're asking what I would ask you for, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have, uh, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have ha asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will be, not be any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will pro prolong your days. And you can see in chapter three, Solomon loves the Lord. He gets this appearance of the Lord to him, the Lord says, what do you want? Ask me and I will give it to you. And Solomon asks for wisdom. That is a wonderful, fantastic prayer. And I believe that if any of you lack wisdom, according to James 1.5, and you ask God, he will grant you that wisdom. And Solomon was given wisdom. He had incredible wisdom. Uh, the Proverbs are from the pen of, of Solomon, but he wrote much more than that. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is filled with wisdom. So God granted this blessing. And if you turn over to chapter 10, I'm gonna show you just a, a snapshot of the glory of the kingdom uh, of Solomon. This is the famous uh, arrival of the queen of Sheba. This is uh, 1 Kings chapter 10. And it begins in verse one this way. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon... Concerning the name of the Lord, 1 Kings 10.1, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Solomon answered all her questions, verse three. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. That's the temple. There was no spirit in her. She was blown away. 
And she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. This is amazing. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, a very great amount of spices and precious stones. Never again did such abundance of spices come in as that which the queen of Sheba gave Solomon. Also the ships of Haram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir a very great number of almig trees and precious stones, and on and on it goes. And you can see the fame of Solomon right before us. If you skip down to verse 23, we'll round out the chapter. King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Some people say he's the Bill Gates of his day, but he had much more than that because it was beyond wealth and notoriety. He had so many blessings. All the earth, 24, was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God put in his heart. They brought every man his gifts, articles of silver, gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, mules, so much year by year. Now Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen. He stationed them in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. He made cedars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the lowland. Also Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew, and the king's merchants procured them from Kew for a price. A chariot was imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And by the same means, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and to the kings of the Arameans or the area of Syria. And you got to say, man, this guy's got it going on. He is famous. He is wealthy. He's got people banging on the door to hear his wisdom, to solve a riddle, to give a proverb, to uh, you know, bring wisdom to a situation. And you can't help but think, if a man is put in this kind of spot, he's going to fight something very slippery. And it's called pride. And scholars have said, if you read a, a few commentators on this section that Solomon is a case study, if you're taking notes, in the subtlety of sin. Because he loves the Lord. But you can see the little compromise with the high places of worship and the compromise with the marriage to the uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And you can see kind of little chinks in his armor as he opens up some areas of compromise. But still, his glory is unsurpassed. And here is Solomon. A case study in the slide to sin that often happens little by little. Uh, these small sins lead to a big disaster we're about to see. This is how Riken puts it. We start falling into sin long before we ever fall into disgrace, close quote. We make little compromises along the way that lead to big falls. If anybody has ever fallen on their face in the church, etc., it's going to be because little compromises were made. Usually people don't just fall on their face getting out of bed. They, there's things that build up along the way, and that was Solomon. And here's the heart of the matter. This is 11.1. Now, King Solomon, 
If you have an NIV, it says, however, loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. That's the marriage in chapter 3. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. Solomon loved them. The Hebrew word for love is ahav. It means affection, but it can include intimate love, like in the love of marriage or intimacy. And so these were the women that he loved, and they were from the nations, verse 2, concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall or you must not, and the, the better translation is intermarry with them. Israel was to be a light to the Gentile nations round about. The New American Standard says associate, but I don't think that that's the best translation. Every other modern translation says don't intermarry with them. You can't affect unbelievers unless you spend some time with them. Amen? And Israel was to be a kingdom of priests and a light to the Gentiles in Exodus 19. But they were not to be unequally yoked with the Gentile nations. That is, they were not to follow the ways that they worship. They were to pull them up and not be pulled down by them. This is always the temptation in a world like our own, where we, want, we love the Lord and we want to walk with him and we've experienced the blessings of the kingdom of God and the king that we love. And yet at the same time, the pull of the world is strong. And how is it that these women came into uh, Solomon's life in the first place. It could be that people that were in his court. It could be uh, visitors who came to bring gifts to the king from all these nations round about and, you know, cheered him for his wisdom. And all of a sudden, a father said to Solomon, hey, my daughter's available. And Solomon said, okay. And he married, and he married, and he married, and he married some more. It says that Solomon... Uh, the warning was they will surely turn you, your heart away after their gods. We'll, we'll come to that in a second. And Solomon, end of verse 2, held fast. He clung. This is the, the word in marriage. We leave father and mother and cleave to wife. But this is a word also used for clinging to the Lord. It's uh, a word that means to stay close. And Solomon clung to these women in love. He had a love relationship. Some sources that you will read say that much of what was done here was for political purposes, political alliances, or to have a good relationship with Egypt or Syria, etc. But Solomon loved these ladies. The plain reading of the text is that he was enamored by them and he loved them. Now, I want you to hold your place in 1 Kings and turn to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 7. We'll look at two places in Deuteronomy just so you can see uh, the warning that came long before there was ever a king in the first five books of Moses, what's called the Torah or the law. Uh, Moses warned about this. The first one's Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse one. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it. So this is looking forward to Solomon's time and beyond. And clears away many nations before you. Notice, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Coronites, the Norkites, uh, no, I'm sorry, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. When the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. 
For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, hew down their ashram, burn their graven images with fire. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And notice the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the fewest of all peoples. But the Lord, he goes on to say, he loved you and kept his oath. Now to Deuteronomy 17, one more so you can see the warnings that were written long before. This is chapter 17. We pick it up in verse 16. And it says these words about a king. Uh, they did not have a king yet, but God knew it was coming. He says, moreover, 1716 of Deuteronomy, he, the king, shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. You can just, you know, keep saying, eh, Solomon, got that one wrong, got that wrong. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll. Seems to me what it's, what's being said is he's going to write it out for himself in the presence of the Levitical priests. How many of you are in the practice of writing down Bible verses? I know we're in a computer age today, but... Growing up in the church, when I was memorizing Bible verses, and I still do, and, and probably the best way I get them in my heart is by repetition. Some of you have done the promise cards or whatever. Well, imagine that the king of Israel wrote his own copy of the Torah, supervised by Levitical priests. I think the reason God said this is because as he wrote it, he would get the truths in his heart. Can you imagine, you're writing a, a copy of the Torah, the first five books, of Moses for yourself. Imagine coming across a section about kings and you're Solomon. You're like, whoa. Wouldn't that catch your attention? Because that's all about you. And so you'd want to pay close attention. So here's what it says. It says, it shall be with him, this copy of the, the law, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God be, by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. And his, that his heart may not be lifted up, no pride above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Back to 1 Kings 11. Now Solomon knew better. In fact, Solomon wrote Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, right? He wrote that. It's one thing to write it down as a memory verse. He wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It shows us that we can have moments with the Lord where truth flows, and yet we can still walk in disobedience. And, and Solomon multiplied many things, and boy, did he multiply wives. Verse 3, chapter 11 says, he had 700 wives. Yes. Now, these were princesses or women of royal birth. You guys are not going to recover from that number, are you? And 
He had 300 concubines. Now, kings in the ancient days had harems. So this, so Solomon had a thousand women in his life. Now, I want you to imagine just for a second, 700 marriage ceremonies. Now, think about this. You get to the eighth one, okay, wife number eight, 16th one, 24th one, 87th marriage ceremony, 106, 139. I mean, you gotta be kidding me. This dude got married 700 times? The only conclusion I can come to is that Solomon was an addict. <laughs> and I'm not kidding when I say it. Because any of you who have ever battled addiction know that you have probably done something at least 700 times. Let's, let's be real. We've probably thought wrong thoughts more than 700 times. But when someone gets into this area of addiction. And I think Solomon was genuinely addicted to new relationships, new love, the new excitement of it. And anytime someone walked into his court, a Hittite leader with his daughter, you know, whatever nation it might be, Solomon was just quick to say, yes, 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 yes. Can you imagine? How did the guy schedule his calendar? Honey, dinner's ready. Who are you again? <laughs> What's your name? Where are you from? When did we meet? When did we get married? What's our anniversary date? Don't ever do that. Don't ever forget your anniversary. Amen. <laughs> and so he had all these women in his life. The Puritans used to compare small sins to baby snakes. They're small but deadly. And if you let them live, they grow into huge serpents. Think about every marriage, every little bite of venom that went into Solomon's heart. He opened the door and the floodgates opened and maybe he didn't even know how to stop it. The sheer numbers show you how sin works. When you open your life to sin, you will never get enough. You will never get enough. If you open your, your life to the devil, he will take everything from you. And yeah, the packages can look incredibly attractive. This is how the devil works. He dangles the carrot. He doesn't make it look ugly. He makes it look pretty. And so on and on Solomon goes. How did he ever get to this point? Did he ever stop himself at marriage 187 or marriage 342 and say, you know, this is getting out of hand. <laughs> and, and if you want to learn some things that you can apply in this message, here's something to think about. If you find that an avalanche has happened in your life because you opened the door, there's a way to stop it. And you know the way to stop it? Is simply to repent and make things right. And anywhere along the way, this guy had all the power at his fingertips. He could have said, I have made a huge mistake. He could have been rereading the Torah, which he's supposed to read every single day. He's got a handwritten copy. He knows he's been confronted with truth more than once. And yet Solomon let it go on and on and on. The man who wrote Proverbs did not obey his own wisdom. He opened the door 
to what we would call forbidden women. This is not a commentary on women or marriage. God honors biblical marriage. This is a commentary on forbidden women. And by the way, Solomon wrote at least three chapters in Proverbs on that topic. He said, if you you commit adultery, if you go outside your marriage, that kind of woman will leave you like a crust of bread. He, He said, drink from your own cistern. He warned and warned and warned, but he did not listen to his own wisdom. And that's the temptation for anybody who knows the word of God. He even said in Ecclesiastes 5, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. That's Ecclesiastes 5.10. And yet, he continued to pursue what he called vanity, emptiness. The Ephesian church in Revelation 2.4 had left their first love. And Jesus said to them in the New Testament, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first. Return to your first love. Remember, repent, go back to the beginning or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. That's Revelation 2, 5 to the church at Ephesus. So it came about when Solomon was old, his wives, surely enough, just as God promised, turned his heart away after other gods with a small g. And his heart, I think his heart's mentioned at least six times in the first nine verses, was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Often we, we believe that with age comes wisdom. But in Solomon's case, as he aged, he was not the wiser. And I will tell you this, just because you got some gray hair doesn't mean that you're wise. You want to have those years actually matter in terms of the wisdom that you bring forth. Because I will tell you this, that a wise older believer has so much value to share. Amen? Amen? And so if you say to people whom you love in your life, you see these gray hairs? Each of them have a name. (laughs) One of them includes you. In fact, multiple gray hairs. Now that's kind of a joke, but here's the deal. With years and wisdom comes the opportunity to frame and help the next generation. That's what David tried to do with Solomon. David loved the Lord and was wholly devoted to the Lord despite the fall with Bathsheba. But Solomon went after five. He pursued, is the idea here, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And you have to just say here, you got to be kidding. The man who had a direct appearance from the Lord, the man who loved the Lord, what happened to him? One writer says, other than the link with his wives, Solomon's choice of gods makes no sense. In the ancient world, polytheists tended to worship the gods of nations who had conquered their armies. Ironically, Solomon worships the gods of the people he has conquered already and controls. What could he possibly gain from such activity, says this writer? The whole episode makes no sense, just as idolatry itself makes no sense, close quote. And brethren, I look at our culture right now, and I have said on more than one occasion, I don't know what's happened to people. That makes no sense. This makes no sense. That makes no sense. And 
it looks like we have now realized Romans 128. We have been given over to a depraved mind. You can't even reason with people anymore in some of these categories that it's unbelievable how far we have slidden down. And as time went by, rather than becoming stronger, Solomon became weaker. Each snake bite, if you will, a little bit more venom. The implication of these verses is that Solomon's heart was slowly chipped away and he lost his devotion to God. His heart turned away. He wrote in Proverbs 4.23, urging his son, future, uh, his descendants and those who were with him, he said, Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it, from your heart, flow the springs of life. But he didn't listen to his own wisdom. And he pursued these false gods. Just to give you a, a, a sampling, Ashtoreth was the ancient Syrian Phoenician goddess of the moon, sexuality, sensual love, and fertility. Uh, she is often associated with Baal in the Old Testament. Some scholars identify Milcom, which we saw in verse 5, with Molech. Uh, some of these details are a bit clouded, but the origin of the name might connect well with Molech. And Molech was a, a metal god. I believe, if I recall correctly, he had a bull's head. And they cut a hole in the middle of this god, and they would put a fire inside the hole. And parents would come, as sad as this is, with firstborn, and they would offer them to this God as the fire burned. With the promise of, if you did this, you would receive fertility, blessings, and prosperity in your life. Brethren, the altars of our world are called by different names, but they haven't changed much. The promise of this, the promise of that, right? And so, as sad as it is, this man, probably the wisest man that ever lived except for Jesus himself, went this way. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord like really all the kings of Israel after him. He did not follow the Lord fully. This is six, as David his father had done. Solomon built a high place to Chemosh. Whenever you see a CH in Hebrew, it's not a ch, it's a kuh sound. Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, Probably similar to uh, Molech. His name is Kamash, some sort of astral deity on the mountain. He built this high place on the mountain, which is east of Jerusalem. Any of you who are familiar with Israel know that the mountain east of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. And you have to say, what in the world is Solomon doing? Why would he ever do this? But it went on. And so he, he built this high place. And for Molech, that's the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon I just described. And thus also he did for all his foreign wives. Uh, scholars see verse 8 as a summary verse. Like there's even more, but this will tell you the kind of the story. Who burned incense and sacrifices, sacrificed to their gods. Verse 8 summarizes that Solomon did it ongoing and... He continued to do it. And though the Lord is slow to anger and full of compassion and his loving kindness is better than life, at some point, no matter who you are, God says enough is enough. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice 
If you want the second appearance, it's in chapter 9, the first nine verses. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. And now we understand why division happened in the land of Israel. Why did we end up with 10 tribes in the north and two in the south? Because Solomon's heart turned away from the Lord and the Lord tore the kingdom away. Whenever we're in leadership, in a leadership capacity, our decisions do not, are not made in a vacuum. When we make decisions that ripple out to people that we rule, you can take it inside the church to pastors, etc., elders, there's a ripple effect for good or for ill. And in this case, Solomon made selfish decisions that would ripple out all the way through the history of the nation of Israel. This is why they ended up with Israel and Judah. One king down here, another king up here. This is why the Assyrians came in and took the northern kingdom. Babylon took the southern kingdom. It led not only to their division, but to their exile. The Lord would not bless it. The whole kingdom unraveled. Solomon couldn't have realized that the decisions he was making would affect future generations, but they did. And had commanded him, 10, concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, you've not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I've commanded you. I'm gonna tear it away. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Because God had made a promise to David of the throne being occupied by his descendants, however, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe. That's probably Judah. Uh, just think of the Jerusalem area. To your son, for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And so Solomon now gets the news. I don't know if it came through a prophet or what have you, but Solomon is told, because you've done this, you may remain on the throne because of my promise to David, but there's consequences. And those consequences are gonna move way beyond your life. I think the application is obvious, but I'm going to speak it to you. You are not just living for you right now. You are living for future generations. And if you decide to obey the Lord as best you can, you're never going to be perfect. There's no Christians that are sinless. Hopefully we are sinning less. But you are not just living for yourself. And when we make decisions in a vacuum, just fixated on the moment or the pleasure, surely the consequences follow. I have a friend that moved out of state and he said, it amazes me what people will give up for five minutes or 10 minutes of pleasure. But this is, this is the weakness of the flesh. And so just one snapshot of what's ahead. So the Lord, notice 14, raised up an adversary to Solomon. Solomon had known peace his whole reign, largely because of David. That, that adversary was Hadad the Edomite. This is where, uh, when you call your dad, this came from, Hadad. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I know. He was of the royal line of Edom. 
This is a nation to the south. The next adversary that will be raised up is a man named Rezin from Damascus in the north. Now you can see enemies begin to surround uh, Solomon. And then the third threat will be Jeroboam raising up from uh, Solomon's own court, verses 26 through 40. Solomon started off so well. He loved the Lord. He prayed for wisdom. He got it. And he got everything else. And then his life slowly slipped into this. And if you fast forward all the way to the end of the chapter, we're almost done and then we're going to take communion together. Here's what the Bible says. Solomon, the rest of the Acts of Solomon 41, and whatever he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? That could be Chronicles or perhaps even Kings. Thus the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years, and Solomon slept with his fathers, was buried in the city of his father David, and his son Rehoboam reigned in his place. What if you had the job of sharing the eulogy at Solomon's funeral? Let's just say that somebody came to you and said, you've been chosen to share the eulogy at King Solomon's funeral. Now I would imagine, first of all, there would be a lot of drama <laughs> at the service. I will tell you, I've done memorial services and funerals in my pastoral career, and I've been told ahead of time, uh, so-and-so is mad at so-and-so. Watch out for so-and-so. And I'm like, what? Oh, they're mad at them, and they're mad about this. And they're... Can you imagine 700 wives? Oh, this is the order of service. Oh, no, it's not. We're going to serve this. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> Yikes. I don't know how much counseling Solomon needed during his life, but it had to be a lot. And so Solomon goes into history with sadly a divided heart. And what do we need? What are we to take away from this? We need a different kind of king. Our answers will not come, and this is why God warned the people, you can ask for another king, but your answers are not coming there. I'm gonna be your king. I'm your husband. I'm your father. But what do we do? We get enamored by the nations roundabout, intoxicated by whatever they present, and the king of glory left heaven. The king of kings and the Lord of lords stood before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate said to him, you don't look so good. You're a king? You say rightly that I'm a king. For this reason I was born. For this reason I came into the world to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said, what is truth? Oh, he's standing right in front of you, governor, if you are willing to see it. It is a trustworthy statement. It deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all, says Paul. Yet for this reason I found mercy, in order that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Father, as we consider the king of heaven, 
the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's, it's amazing to us to think about the fact that you left your throne, Jesus, the glory you shared with your father before the world was, coming on a rescue mission, not for yourself, but for your subjects, for the sake of the ones that you love. You did what no king could ever do for us. You're the perfect king, the perfect lamb, the lion and the lamb. And you shed your blood to wash us clean of all our failings. Thank you, mighty king of heaven. You are the king of glory. And, and Father, I pray that those who may not know you today would turn and make you king of their life, savior and king, savior and Lord. That they would say, Lord, I want to enter your kingdom. Pray it if it's you. I'm repenting of my sin. I, I'm going to stop it right now. I'm going to turn around. Maybe you're a backslidden Christian and your prayer would be, I'm returning to my first love. I'm not, I'm not playing games anymore. Oh, Father, help us. We need you so desperately. Thank you for the grace that you have put on display at that cross. Thank you for the triumphant resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the risen king. Thank you that he's coming again to set up his kingdom, to rule and reign in righteousness, to reverse the curse, death, sin, Satan. All will be vanquished by this mighty king. It's already really done. It just needs to come to full fruition. And thank you for that, Lord. May that cheer us on if we're facing tough days. May you bless your faithful people who are trying to walk with you faithfully each and every day. Give them all the grace they need, I pray. In Jesus' name.